Okay. All right. Uh, let's um, let's uh, pull it together here and get rolling a bit. Uh, <clears throat> um, this question uh, for your group discussion is: How does the enemy use feelings of pride and hopelessness against us in the spiritual battle? What did you guys come up with on that one? Pride and hopelessness. Two um, two tools that Satan will often use uh, in spiritual battle. How do you see these being used? Oh, you think with both of them it's the same? Okay, so yeah. So both of them are tactics to get us uh, to a place where we don't deal directly with our sin. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, surely. Surely. Yeah, use feelings that, that invoke emotional responses. Sure. Okay, so good answer. So uh, whether it's pride or hopelessness, pride is this exaltation of self. I can do certain things, and hopelessness is the opposite of that, saying I can't do things, I'm feeling hopeless. In either case, it's a tactic that gets our eyes focused on ourselves rather than on Christ and on His Word. So and isolates us from the one who can really help us. That's, that's good, I like that. Anything else you guys want to add? Right, so on both, on both counts, kind of echoing here, it comes back to an internal focus. On the one hand, when we're prideful, um, we're blind to our sin. We think we're, you know, we're above it, or we, we're just blinded to our sin because you know we tend to think we're super spiritual. We don't have these problems. I'm, you know, I'm who I am. I'm proud. So it keeps us away from from recognizing the problem. And hopelessness tends to do the opposite. We see the problem, but we feel like we can't. That there's nothing that can be done. We're stuck. And we, it can't be helped. It can't be fixed. And so we, you know, we kind of fall perpetually into a cycle that we can't get out of because we don't think there's any way out of it. We're convinced of that. We're hope, hopeless. So both of those things are, 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 are things that he uses in the battle against us for sure. We'll, we'll tag on hopelessness in a little bit. Your second question, read the following passages and list which each one, uh, what each one contributes to our understanding of why it's important to memorize the Word of God. Um, you guys want to just give those to me by list? You know, we have um, uh, Psalm 119.11. What does that contribute to our thoughts on memorizing Scripture? Okay, so it speaks to the issue of, of the Word of God keeping us from sin. Okay, so memorizing it, knowing it, hiding it in our hearts uh, becomes a preventative for sin. Okay, what about Philippians 4.8? Say it out loud, I'm sorry. Okay, on good thoughts, proper thoughts. Okay, all right. Luke four thirteen. Did y'all look these verses up? Hello. All right, shout it out. Don't make me pull it out of you. Okay, so Luke in Luke chapter four, the context is what we've got. Okay, we've got the temptation of Jesus, right? Um, Yeah, so we've got the temptation of Jesus. And of course, how does Jesus deal with the temptation every step of the way? Okay, instantly with the Word. Does he have to go look it up in a concordance somewhere? No, he's got it. he knows it. He's got it memorized. So when the temptation comes, it's, it's in his mind and out it comes. So that becomes his defense. And then at the end of that, the devil ended, uh, uh, had ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. So the fact that Christ had memorized, he had this stuff in his, in his mind... Um, became a, a way of re- repelling satanic temptation, right? 
Um, so that's what we get in that last that last verse. Satan left. Why did he leave? Because Christ was doing battle and was winning the battle with the word in his mind. Um, and so um, it, it speaks to us about memorizing scripture. When the temptation comes, when the word of God is there, we have we have a weapon to do battle with. Um, John eight thirty two. What's that? Okay, so freedom. Um, so as opposed to slavery or bondage. Okay, so um, and that has to. We'll talk about that in just a second. Okay, uh, I'm going to save the Second uh, Corinthians 10 passage for when we get to it in our study. So we've been talking about, uh, about spiritual warfare. Um, just to throw uh, the definition back up on the screen for you, just uh, just to continue to get it in your mind. Uh, we're dealing with our struggle against otherworldly forces. Um, more specifically, Clinton Arnold's uh, definition. It's a bit lengthy, but it gives a good description for us. Um, uh, the idea that there's no part of our existence over which the evil one doesn't want, uh, does not want to maintain or reassert his unhealthy and perverse influence. And at the same time, you've got Jesus who's longing to reign as Lord over every area of our lives. And the battle uh, ensues. This is the locus of an intense struggle for believers. So that's what we're talking about. Satan who's seeking control domination of our minds over our lives and Christ who um, seeks lordship over those areas of our life and the battle uh, rages within us this is what we're talking about with spiritual warfare and we've been working our way through this and uh, we talked last week specifically about the role of the mind that that's where that is where the spiritual battle takes place right it's in our thoughts in our mind um, that, that these things happen that, that, that the, the battle rages um, and we talked about the idea that we tend to focus on behaviors, uh, but that's mis- mislocating the battle. The battle isn't on the level of behaviors. The battle is well before what we do. It's how we think. Before we do anything, we've thought about it and we've made decisions. And the decisions dictate how we act. And so the battle actually, the main front of the battle is in our minds. And uh, we, we started a list last week of, of uh, uh, six important functions of the mind, how the mind plays a role in this. And we saw the first four or five um, the idea that the heart is changed by the mind um, and the behaviors flow out of that. So that's part of why the mind is important. The idea that the mind perceives truth and the will of God. It's through the mind that these things are perceived and understood. Um, and that's where the battle is located. And then uh, the third one, uh, what we believe determines uh, our direction, our actions, our responses. And also unity with God and other Christians requires the mind. Uh, we, we have to be in agreement on things. We have to think alike and believe alike, and that brings unity. Um, the last two we didn't talk much about. I'll just skim them briefly. Uh, the idea <clears throat> excuse me, that a corrupted mind will block your usefulness to God in the kingdom. Um, and, and that seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? Um, uh, you look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Um, and, and Paul writes, I fear lest somehow there's a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. The idea that our minds can be, what's the word he used? Corrupted, right? And so Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, and they had started out pretty well, but Paul was, was concerned. He was concerned that although they had started out pretty well, that, that the enemy was going to begin to turn their minds and corrupt their minds from the simplicity uh, in Christ that they began with. And he understood the reality that, that if their minds were corrupted, um, then you end up in a state of disobedience, which, which causes you to lose your usefulness in the kingdom. I mean, a disobedient Christian is not very useful for the Lord in the battle. 
Um, and so Paul was concerned that they be careful that their minds not be corrupted. And that's, that's a good... When you think of the word corrupted, what kind of images does that bring up in your thoughts? What is corrupted? What kind of picture, huh? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Politicians, oh yeah, corrupt maybe. Um, but corrupted, what is that word? What kind of images? Something rotten, doesn't it? Yeah, something that was originally good, but it's, it's just rotted or twisted. I think of, a, for some reason, I think of contamination, you know, something that was originally you know, like water or something that something has gotten into and made what was originally good something that's, that's nasty or unappealing or, or even deadly in some cases. The idea of corruption, that's a vivid word. It's got vivid imagery. And, and that is what, what, what can happen when we begin to lose the battle in our minds, is our minds can get corrupted and begin to be poisoned, if you will. And the result of that then becomes a state of obedience, and a, and it, which undercuts our usefulness uh, in the kingdom of God. And so, um, so that's why Jesus was really diligent with the apostles. When they were in error, he almost always immediately corrected their thinking, or attempted to at least, um, because he understood the, how that slide works. Your mind gets corrupted, you end up in disobedience, which undercuts your usefulness. And uh, going back to the passage that we mentioned earlier, the mind is a battlefield for bondage and freedom, right? Um, The truth does what? Jesus said, you'll know the truth and it will set you free. Uh, Satan is a master deceiver. He's an ultimate liar. And he lies and he deceives with a purpose because he understands that deception and lies, if if he can cause us to buy into his deception and lies, that it becomes for us a real bondage. It becomes a bondage that holds us back. Galatians, the, the church in Galatia. Do you remember what they were struggling with? What the issue was in, in the Galatian church? Okay, so legalism and the law is a means of, sal- of, of, of salvation. And, and Paul was trying to deal with this issue with them. You know, this idea that in Christ you're free. You're not bound by the law uh, as you were in, in your Judaism and and, and there, were, there were false teachers coming in trying to, once again, restrain them back under the law. And Paul speaks of this a lot. Like in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Okay? Confusion, where does that happen? Okay, in the mind. Okay, so you've got false teachers who are confusing their minds. And Paul was aware of this. And he goes on in chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's an interesting you know, bewitched, that's also comes to how you think. Um, and then in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. Uh, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. So Paul understands. He's trying to get you to think negatively about us because they want you to think positively about them. And then in chapter 5, he says, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. But in chapter 5, verse 1, he says to them this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made, you, made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So he's talking about these false teachers who are coming in with these false teachings of, of slavery to the law. And he's saying, look, you buy into this stuff and you're going to go right back into the, the mental and spiritual slavery and bondage that you used to live in. Christ has set you free from all that. Uh, focus on the truth. Deal with the truth. Believe the truth. And it, it will set you free, whereas the deception uh, takes you back into spiritual slavery. 
And so, once again, it's this idea that the mind is important in that battle. That when Satan knows that he can deceive us, if he can get, get us to believing lies, that we become enslaved to those lies. And, um, and it, it undercuts our ability to think correctly about God and certainly to act correctly in the world and to do anything for him. So it undercuts us. So it's the mind that's the battlefield for all of this bondage and slavery. So um, the mind becomes the focus of all of this. And, and, um, and I just reiterate again, when you, when you hear people talk about spiritual warfare, you read books about spiritual warfare, so often um, the, the content is misdirected into things other than the mind. It starts, you know, you, you advocate chasing around demons or, you know, casting out demons or pleading the blood of Jesus, whatever that means, over your house and over your car and over your children and over different things and, you know, doing certain things to um, protect your, your home, your body or whatever. All of that are, are tactics that deal with things on the outside. And we could probably have some debate on whether over any of that makes any sense at all. Um, but beyond that, uh, it's, it's just a misdirection because that's not where the battle lies, right? The battle lies in the mind. And as long as I think that's one of Satan's great deceptions, even among believers, if he can get you run around chasing demons everywhere, um, you're not paying attention to where the real battle is taking place. And that's the mind. Um, and so uh, we want to continue to talk about that. So so spiritual uh, battles take place in the mind. The mind fits into all these categories. Um, and then we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 3 through 5. And this introduces us to a new, and kind of a new nuance on this idea of the mind, where Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ so we have this phrase in the middle of this he's talking about the mind and he, he talks to, about the, the divine power to demolish strongholds we see this word stronghold that's not a very common word in the bible um i asked you in your group question to define what do you, what is a stronghold what does he mean by a stronghold what did you guys come up with on that front a thought process okay these the, the group here in the front gets the, the golden cookie award. Um, they got it. Paul defines stronghold for us in the next sentence, doesn't he? Uh, if, you, if you look at it, that's exactly what he says. He says our, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They have divine power to do what? To destroy strongholds. In the next sentence, he talks about we destroy, and then he defines what a stronghold is. Arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Um, so when we're talking about strongholds, what are we talking about? We're talking about we're talking about arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. He's describing what goes on where? In in the mind. In the mind. Um, a couple of good definitions that try and uh, put this in a different a different uh, sort of verbiage that are helpful um, when we're trying to define a stronghold. Uh, two, I've got two, uh, and one adds a little nuance that the other doesn't. Uh, a stronghold being just an entrenched pattern of thought. An ideology, a value, or a behavior that's contrary to the word and will of God. So some ideology, a thought process, a set of values that's contrary to the word and will of God can become a stronghold. Now, a nuance to that, um, adding in uh, the idea that strongholds often involve hopelessness, would be the second definition, an entrenched, an entrenched pattern of thinking and acting that we believe we cannot change. 
even though we know that such thoughts and actions are contrary to the will of God. And that, I think that's probably good as well, because what often happens, and we'll see this in just a moment, is when you're talking about strongholds, these thought patterns, these, these um, uh, patterns of thinking and acting that become a part of, how, of who we are and what we believe and how we act, um, often are very cyclical in the sense of um, we, they continue and continue and we get to a place where we think, you know, this is just the way it is. There's nothing I can do about this. And we come to a place of hopelessness with it often. Um, have you ever struggled with a, with a particular thought pattern or sin pattern in your life and you've tried to address it and you, you recognize it as sinful and you, you, you try to employ various uh, means to, to deal with that only to have it, you know, a month or a week or six months down the road, the same thing? come back again and here you are struggling with it again and you do that enough times you can get to a place where you you finally just say what forget it i can't there, apparently i can't deal with this it's not going to go away and you just kind of you kind of just uh relent to it and it just and that continues um and, and it, then it becomes a stronghold we're talking about now not just an isolated temptation we're talking about a stronghold, an entrenched pattern of thinking and behaving that's there, that's entrenched. By very nature of the word entrenched, we mean it's there. It doesn't go away. It's, it's staying. And oftentimes we feel like there's nothing we can do to change it. Um, that's what we're talking about. And so when Paul says, you know, that, that, that we're trying to destroy strongholds, this is what we're doing. We're trying to, to destroy these patterns of thinking that we think we can't change um, and get them to, 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 to be demolished. Um, and, you know, if a Christian comes to a point where he believes that nothing is going to change or she believes nothing is going to change, you just give up hope and you stop fighting. You just give up hope and you stop fighting. That's exactly where the enemy wants us, right? He wants us to give up hope and to stop fighting and to just settle into these entrenched ways of thinking and believing because, we're, they, because they destroy us and they undercut any effectiveness uh, for the kingdom. And so... That uh, do, do, just uh, you don't need to answer this out loud, but I want you to think about your own life. Do you see evidence of these ki- of, of what we're defining here as strongholds in your life, or at some point in your life, maybe even not now, or maybe right now, entrenched patterns of thinking that you know are displeasing to the Lord, but you've just given up hope, and you think, you know, it's just the way it is. I can't fight it, and you've just given up on the battle. Um, that's what Paul's talking about here when he writes to the Corinthians, because he understands that that's that's the potential for anybody, for any of us. But Paul is saying that there's hope in that, that we can do battle against that and we can destroy such strongholds. Um, so that's what he's talking about. So where do, where do, where do strongholds begin? Um, look to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. We see another word that has hold in it. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no, the ESV says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Um, but other translations don't use the word opportunity. use the word, you know, well, some use place, some use opportunity. Others use the word foothold. If you heard it that way, don't give foothold to the enemy. Um, one of the things that we should notice is that strongholds begin often with a foothold. Um, or us giving an opportunity. You don't, you don't just drift into a stronghold, into an entrenched way of thinking just like that. It, it comes on rather, rather, in rather incremental ways often, where we, it begins somewhere where we give the, the, the enemy a foothold. What is, that, what is that 
I mean, the context here is anger, but it's a principle that applies elsewhere. What is he talking about when he says to give no, he's, give no opportunity or give no foothold to the devil? What is he, what is he saying to them? Okay. All right. So he, and here he's talking about anger. So he's given them some strategies, particularly with anger. Um, you know, here you need to deal with your anger very, very, very succinctly and very clearly. And you need to not let it linger on because if you don't deal with it, then, then what do you do? What does that do? It gives... It gives, it gives Satan a foothold. When you think of the word foothold, what, what, what images come to your mind? Okay, so you, th- yeah, okay, so you kind of think somebody slamming the door and your foot gets in, and that foot does what? It just keeps the door open a little bit, right? And, and if you can get your foot in the door and keep it open just a little bit, if you keep working at it, eventually you can do what? You get it open a little wider, and before long you can prance right in, right? So that's one way of thinking of a foothold. It is. It's the thought that you don't take captive. Exactly right. When I was thinking of foothold this week, for some reason, I was thinking of um. You ever seen uh, th- those those guys who do mountain climbing? That's amazing to me. I mean, I could never do that. But you know, you you, you see how those guys grab these little crevices with their fingers and pull themselves up, and they just need a little tiny little notch somewhere to put their foot on. Have you ever seen these guys do that? And they can just find some little teeny little ledge and put their foot, and they get a foothold, and they can push off and go up to the next level. It's amazing to me to watch that. I don't, I don't even see how it's possible. Uh, yeah, it would scare me to death to begin with, and just the strength to be able to do it. But that idea of just a little tiny little, now all they need is a little tiny little piece to, to get a foothold so that it can push them up to the next level. And I was thinking, that was what the image that came to my mind when I was thinking of foothold. When we, when we, when we, uh, when we don't take every thought captive and we don't deal with our sin, what happens in these small ways, what we do is we give Satan a little foothold. And all he needs is a little foothold to be able to push up to the next level and grab the next little rock and kind of continue to climb his way into our lives. And so Paul is speaking to them in this area of anger. He's saying, look, if you don't deal with this, if you don't put away your falsehood, if you don't speak the truth to each other, um, if, you, if you don't deal with your anger in such a way that it's not sinful... Uh, if you don't deal with it quickly, instead of stewing on it, um, then what you end up doing is you give Satan a place. You give him an opportunity. You give him a foothold to be able to, to get into your thoughts. And, and his goal is never to just gain a foothold. His, his goal is to establish a stronghold. Uh, but a stronghold begins with a foothold. He gets an opportunity somewhere, and he continues to capitalize on that. Yeah, John? Well, I think, I think what he's saying is it becomes an opportunity for sin. It becomes an opportunity for us to sin. If we don't deal with it instantly and quickly and address it biblically, um, then, it, then it rolls over and becomes an opportunity for sin. Yeah. Um, in other way, the word literally means to give space. Um, you know, to give space. And that's what he's talking about, giving space for, for Satan to confuse and to begin to deal with us in the area of our mind. And so the idea of giving him a foothold is anytime we move in his direction, um, it always begins with the mind, right? Anytime, you know, think of, uh, let, me, let me give an illustration uh, of, a, of a very, I think, typical sin, particularly for men in our culture. Um, you, think about, um, you think about somebody who's, who's addicted to pornography, um, and it's become a stronghold kind of a sin in their life, a pattern that's developed um, that's very, very difficult to break. How does that begin? Well, it begins with at some point... In the mind, a temptation, right? Um, to, to go look at something that you know it's ungodly and sinful to look at. It begins right there, right? And so you have a choice. What do you do? Do you, 
the, uh, use the example of Joseph in the Old Testament when faced with sexual temptation, you can do what? You run from it. You flee from it. Or you can choose to move in the direction, right? Um, you can move in the direction. Well, just look at it once or something like that. And see, once you make that move mentally, mentally, before you ever act it, when you make the decision, see, you've given, you've given the enemy a foothold. You've given him an opportunity. You've given place. Does that make sense? Uh, and that happens in the mind before the action ever takes place. And so a foothold it begins right there. You give that foothold and you move in the direction of Satan uh, in, in, in your mind and that you open yourself to that temptation. And that temptation just leads to what? Well, to, to further temptation, to further opportunity, and you end up moving more and more, and before long it becomes a, a stronghold. And that same, that same directional movement happen, can happen with anger or anything else, you know, any other sin. Uh, it begins in small ways where we move in that direction. Um, uh, you know, someone who's, who's got an addiction to drugs or alcohol, they're dominating their life. It begins with a movement, a simple, you know, I put myself in the place of temptation. It's okay, I convince myself. And you give foothold. And that foothold can, and particularly in some cases, quickly become a stronghold in our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah, John? Yeah, it conceives and gives birth. He uses the illustration James does. It leads to death, yeah. Sure. Sure. And so, you know, what I want you to see here is this idea of how footholds lead to strongholds and how we should recognize those two things exist and what the connection is between the two. Um, the authors of this book kind of give a, a, a progression that they say tends to work out uh, often. And it's a, it's a fairly reasonable sort of temptation. In other words, the development of a stronghold from a foothold. Um, and, and they kind of give a sequential pattern like this. You know, step one is we place ourselves in the way of temptation. We just kind of put ourselves. That's where we open the door and, and give an opportunity or give space for the enemy. We place ourselves in the way of temptation. And then Satan entices us to do what? Well, to give in to that temptation. We're, we're tempted. We're enticed. We fail. And Satan then comes right behind our failure with what? He's a great accuser. Right? It comes with accusation, with accusation. How does that work out? Come on, you know this, right? You ever sinned? And then what, 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 what do you hear, you know, after that? You know, you understand what I mean? Look at you. Look at you. And you're a Christian and you did that? I mean, you can't be a Christian. Christians don't do that kind of stuff. I mean, what would the Lord think of you now? What would, your, what would the people at your church think? I mean, you are a failure. Come on, let's be honest for a minute. Have you ever, have those thoughts ever come into your mind? When the Bible says Satan is an accuser, that's what it means. He's an accuser. And, and, and part of his tactic is to lead us into temptation and to allure us into giving a foothold and to failing. And upon our failure, he, our, he then becomes our accuser. Our tempter turns into our accuser, right? And begins to come in at us that way. With a, and, and then what can happen is we listen to the accusations. And we begin to assume that they're true and that we can't change and that we won't get out of this and that we are what he says. And we can often lose hope. And then having lost our hope, we again place ourselves in the way of temptation and continue to lose the battle. And it becomes a cycle. Um, now, what do you think about that? That uh, progression? Do you, does it seem does it seem to match with what you've experienced in your life? 
I, I think it's a slope that kind of loops back around again. Yeah, that loops back again. And that's what, it, you know, because when you think in terms of stronghold, you're thinking of being stuck in this loop and you don't feel like you can get out. Yeah. Yeah, Christ has just set us free from those things and, and to release us from that. Uh, but this, this tactic of, of, of enticing and alluring us um, to sin and then right on the heels of that turning around and becoming the accuser who, who seeks to uh, make us feel guilt and, and shame and embarrassment and then ultimately with the goal of, of losing hope um, is, is where this thing kind of rolls. And I think that's a pretty good way of describing what's a typical cycle uh, that happens. Right. That's exactly right. And Pastor Frank has just gotten us ahead, and that was great. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, but what's that? Oh, did you? You had that one. Yeah, so I had his word in my heart that I won't sin. Um, so, um, so you see this pattern. You know how a foothold becomes then a stronghold, and you end up in this cycle that often seems hopeless. And, um, and that's where that question about hopelessness and pride comes in. Pride comes in on the front end of this, right? Oh, I can handle the temptation. So we place our way, put ourselves in the way of temptation, telling ourselves that we're spiritual enough to handle it, uh, foolishly giving the devil a foothold. Um, and before long, you know, we end up at hopelessness, thinking that we can't change and we're just stuck here forever. Um, so some questions, uh, some questions, some diagnostic questions that you can ask yourself and that I can ask myself that, uh, that are worth considering in this area of stronghold. Looking at our own life and looking at the things that are going on in our thoughts. Um, just some questions, some diagnostics. Has, has, is there sin in our life that's become habitual? Uh, is it something that I, uh, that I continually do even though I know that it displeases God? This is diagnosing a stronghold. Uh, is there some kind of sin in your life that's become habitual? You, you, you continually do it, even though you know that God is displeased during that cycle. Another question, have I, given up, have I given up fighting sin? Am I close to saying things like, well, what's the point of trying? I just can't overcome it. I mean, wow, that's a good question. Third, do I continue placing myself in the way of temptation? Do I keep putting myself there? Um, though I know that the temptation and probably failure await... Uh, do I still move in the devil's direction? Do I still move and open that door and give a foothold? Another question, with regard to my sin, is it, is it hard for me to believe the Bible promises such as 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Um, is it do you find it hard to believe those kinds of those promises? And then finally, have I stopped spending time with God, reading his word and praying because I'm so overwhelmed by the guilt of my sin. Really, I think, good diagnostic questions that, that help us uncover these areas of our life where these strongholds get entrenched and where we find ourselves in that cycle. Um, so what do you do? What do you do when you answer yes to these questions? What do you do when, um, when you see this? Well, a good place to begin is First John 1, 9. Um, if we confess our sins, He is what? He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So identifying it and confessing it to the Lord is the start. It's the start. It's the starting place in the battle. Um, it's the starting place. 
So this becomes the pattern then. This is, you have these strongholds that start out as footholds and this pattern that Satan uses to entice us and then to accuse us and then to trap us into the cycle. So what do we do? How do we then deal with that? How do we, how do we, if that's what the battle is about, how do we wage war? How do we fight it? Um, when you read spiritual warfare writers, there, there are really two categories of, of um, strategies for, for fighting the battle. There's one, uh, one world out there that would tell you we need to pursue what are called power encounters. Have you ever heard this phrase, power encounters, before? Um, anybody ever heard that phrase? Pastor Frank's heard it. Um, power encounters, are, are the idea here is uh, we, we seek to, um, to do battle by, by, by engaging the enemy in, in such a way that, that, that we see a visible display of God's power. Physical healings or exorcisms or these power encounters where we're looking for and, and even trying to incite these, the miraculous work of God. Um, you see this a lot from the charismatic side of the Christian world. Um, you know, trying to do exorcisms and trying to um, do what they would call power encounters, even in, in, in certain kinds of, 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 of uh, uh, prayer vigils that would seek to uh, somehow uh, induce the power of God in some sort of a, of a very physical and visible sort of a manifestation um, in, in the battle. Uh, there's a whole other world that makes a whole lot more biblical sense in my view that doesn't talk about power encounters, but talks about truth encounters. Um, the idea here is not that we're looking for visible displays of God's power, like exorcisms or any of that kind of stuff. What we're looking for here is the intentional application of biblical truth to life so that we might overcome these temptations and these sin patterns. So the idea that we're not looking to have some mystical experience, but we're looking to intentionally apply the truth, the truth, the, the Word of God to these places in our life um, so that the lies are exposed and we gain power over the enemy. So that's what we're looking at in these ideas of truth encounters. And when you look at what Jesus has to say, he has a lot to say about truth, doesn't he? We're going to be studying the Gospel of John and we're going to see him talk a lot about truth in John. That word pops up a lot in John's Gospel. Um, He quotes Jesus talking about the truth a lot. Um, You know, we're going to find like in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says Jesus is the truth. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, he talks about the Holy Spirit and he calls him the spirit of truth. That's right. Um, The spirit who leads believers into all truth. In chapter 17, he's going to tell us that the truth of God is what ultimately sanctifies us. And in chapter 8, it's ultimately what sets us free. So the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth is all over the gospel of John and it's all over scripture as well. Um, and so this idea of, of, of the spiritual battle in our minds, it, it's, it's dealing with the idea of truth, the idea of truth. And you saw this with Jesus. When you, you may not have looked in uh, that chapter 4 of Luke uh, earlier, the temptation of Jesus. But you see this in the battle, right? This, this is a spiritual battle that's going on. You have Satan tempting Christ. And, and as he, I mean, Christ has the power of the universe at his hand, what could he have done in that encounter with Satan had he wanted to? Yeah, he could have used some sort of power encounter, some sort of, he could have used his power to do whatever he wanted to. But what does he choose to do in the face of every temptation and lie? To respond with, with truth. He responds with truth in the face of the lie is what he does. 
Um, and, and we saw that, uh, if, if you're familiar with that story, it's, it's all he does, in fact, um, countering, countering these satanic lies and deceptions uh, with the truth. And it was effective, wasn't it? It was effective. I mean, the verse you read tells us how that story ends. At the end, Satan does what? He departs. He departs in the face of the truth. He has no foothold. He gains no foothold. Therefore, he establishes no stronghold. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this. When Jesus Christ was assailed by Satan in the wilderness, he had a great choice of weapons with which to fight Satan. But he took none but this sword of the Spirit. It is written, this is, the, this is our battle axe and weapon of war. A spiritual kingdom must be set up and supported by spiritual means only. I like that, that picture uh, that he uses of the Word of God being our battle axe. I like, you know, maybe that's the little kid in me that likes, you know, his war things for the battle axe. But, but you think of the Word of God as, as being the weapon uh, that, 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 it, that it responds um, and we saw that uh, all throughout with, with Jesus. Um, and that's why I asked you uh, to look up those verses and to explain why memorizing the Word of God is so important. If the spiritual battle takes place in our minds, if that's the location of it, if it's there that Satan gains his foothold, and if it's there that strongholds are established and kept, um, then that's where the battle has to happen. And if our only real weapon in the battle is what? The battle axe, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Uh, if, we, if we don't have that hidden in our, in our minds, then, then where does that leave us in the fight? Defenseless. That's exactly right. Um, imagine, um, uh, imagine some war and somebody going to fight the war defenseless when the enemy has all the weapons. What do you do? You lose. You lose badly. Um, and it's part of the reason why we lose a lot of those battles. Uh, because we haven't chosen to hide God's word in our hearts. Now, thankfully, we, we, you know, we live in a prosperous nation and we have access to the word of God. And sometimes in the midst of that temptation, we realize that that's where we are. And we realize, hey, I'm being assaulted in my mind. And we have access to Bibles and we can go and grab them and read and look and, and find things that are helpful to us, find the truth. Um, but but uh, aren't we a much better soldier if we've already hidden that stuff in our minds so when the accusation comes, it's there. And we can draw upon that arsenal at a moment's notice. It's really convicting to me because, you know, even as a pastor, I find myself neglecting um, the memorization of the Word of God. Uh, it's, you know, I know my Bible pretty well, I think. And so I tend to think, you know, hey, if I need something, I can find it quickly. Um, but I often don't find it quickly. And, and, and I wish that um, I had given more attention up to this point in my life to the memorization of Scripture. So I didn't have to um, find myself often defenseless in the battle. Um, what happens when I'm riding down the street and the temptation comes? You know, i got my hands on the wheel. Um, you know, what happens when I'm somewhere where I'm not toting my Bible around? Um, you know... Um, if it's in my heart, if I've hidden his word in my heart, which is another way of saying put it in my mind, then I don't have to be concerned. I've got it. I can come against those thoughts and those, um, those entrenched things that pop up, that are raised, lofty ideas raised against the knowledge of God. I have the, the weapon. And so I hope that you're convicted by that. I hope you're convicted enough um, to, 
to cause you to begin to memorize some of God's Word. If it's just a verse here and there, a verse a week, or whatever you, you decide to put, you know. Um, um, you know, I remember one time, uh, I, I, uh, you all know that John MacArthur is one of my heroes, and I remember um, one time hearing him do a Q&A session with some people, and somebody was, you know, saying to him, man, you just seem like you, you, you know so much Scripture. Professor Frank and I were talking about this at the conference we were at a couple uh, weeks back where you hear, you hear somebody like that speak, and it's like just off the top of his head, he's, you know, quoting the Scripture left and right. You think, that guy's got to be a genius. You know, how does he know all that? And what was so funny is he said, you know, um, people think I'm a genius. I'm no genius. Uh, you know, he, he just, and he went on to explain in this Q&A that he had developed a system early on in life of memorizing Scripture. And it was just when he was preaching, he would make little note cards. He preaches through books of the Bible, so he would make little note cards, you know, of every passage he would, that he was doing. And like every chapter that he was preaching, he would read it several times every day and, you know, make cards for each chapter with the theme. And so he said, look, you know, by the time I get done with the preaching, I continue to do that. I'm not a genius. I mean, you have to be an idiot not to know it by then. I read it so many times. Um, so, but, but the point was he had built a strategy into his life. Uh, early on for how to memorize that. And, um, and and it's something that I haven't done a good job of, and I want to do a better job of. It's one of my looking towards 2014, you know, one of those things I want to work on um, in my life. I hope it's something that, that you would be motivated to work on as well. Um, hiding God's Word in our heart. It is our, if, we, if we realize, if we're really struck with the reality that we are in a spiritual war, and the war takes place in our mind primarily, and the only weapon we have is the truth of the Word of God. Um, if, if we really come to grips with that, I don't see how we could not be motivated to put the Word of God in our minds. Um, because otherwise we're walking defenseless. And so I, I think uh, as we look at that list of questions, that there were diagnostic questions earlier, you have to think about that. Do I see patterns of this in my life? How do I begin to do battle against that? Well, we begin to do battle against the lies with the truth. And it begins by hiding the Word of God in our hearts and beginning to strap on the weapon and begin to do the, do the, do the fight, do the battle. Um, so we'll stop there for tonight. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we, <laughs> there's a funny irony in our lives because we are believers and we, we affirm your truth. We, in fact, in our church, try to make a concerted effort to hold high your Word and everything that we do. And yet, in the midst of holding high your word, we often neglect to hide it in our hearts. Because of that, Lord, we've, we've, we've walked onto the battlefield vulnerable in so many ways. And in doing so, we've allowed the enemy a foothold in our life in various places. We've allowed footholds in the area of anger. We've allowed footholds in the areas of lust. We've allowed uh, footholds in, in all these different uh, areas of our life, envy and, and pride. And, um, and in some cases, Lord, those footholds have, uh, have grown into all-out all strongholds where, where there's a little foothold of anger at some point in our life. We're now trapped in all-out bitterness. Now, where there was a, uh, a foothold at some point in our lives of, uh, of, of envy over something else, we're now trapped in uh, materialism and, and, and the desire for the world's things and uh, where there was a simple temptation to lust early on we now find ourselves in strongholds that are painful and hard to break Lord help us to see in our own lives these patterns 
And Lord, help us to to not uh, tonight be trapped in that hopelessness where the accuser would want to make us be filled with, with, with shame and with guilt and would want to trap us in hopelessness and remind us that there's always hope, that you've given us your word and you know, part of the power of your word is it sets us free, that you've promised, Lord, to forgive us and to, um, to, to wipe the slate clean no matter what we've done, that we don't have to be entrenched in guilt. And you promised us the power to win the battle. So there is no stronghold that's hopeless in our life. But we must fight with your word, with your truth. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that you would help me, you would help uh, my friends who are here tonight, uh, to begin even now to think about how we can build strategies in our life to hide your word in our heart. uh, That we might not sin against you. That we might begin to walk onto the battlefield with our battle axe each and every day of our lives. Uh, Lord, cause us to dwell on these thoughts. Motivate us to action in our lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.